Dear fathers, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. And we pray that as we study your word today about your son, that you will truly open our hearts and minds to see what a great God we have in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I was born on the 7th of March, 1968, at King George's V Memorial Hospital for Mothers and Babies in the suburb of Camperdown in the city of Sydney in the state of New South Wales, Australia. And here's my birth certificate. But what does that tell you about me? To know where I was born, to know when I was born, to know the fact of my birth. Well, actually, it doesn't tell you anything about me, right? Because knowing where I was born, when I was born, doesn't tell you what I'm like as a person, uh, what I was like as uh, in my character. It doesn't tell you the story of my life. And uh, the reason is because I didn't choose to be born uh, when I was born. I, I, it, you know, I didn't have a choice in terms of where I was born. It was more my parents' decision, and I didn't have a part to play in it. So knowing my birth, the facts of my birth, where I was born, where I was born, doesn't really help you to know my character, my personality, or who I am. You can't know me just by my birth. But how different it is for Jesus? Because as we come and we remember the birth of Jesus uh, around the time of Christmas, the facts of his birth, the knowledge of his birth, actually tell us a great deal about Jesus, about his character, about his personality. And in fact, the birth of Jesus Christ is so important that actually when we study the book of Philippians over the last few weeks, you may have noticed that right in the heart of the book of Philippians, it tells the people in Philippi to focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. So in verse 5, as was read to us by Yang a moment ago, Paul the Apostle tells the Christians in Philippi, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then what happens in verse 11, 6 to 11 is a very, very long and uh, quite detailed exposition of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't actually say, or oh, be like Jesus Christ because he washed people's feet, or, or be like Jesus Christ because he saved and looked after the poor, or be compassionate on the sick. No, he focuses on the birth of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you turn to me in your Bibles, you'll see that actually in verse 6 to 11, it's almost as if it's something that they are familiar with. Uh, many commentators say that in verse 6 to 11, this is something that the early church may have either read as a creed. You know, we read the Apostles' Creed just a moment ago. Well, perhaps verse 6 to 11 may have been a very early creed in which the ancient church used to read during their services. Or it may have been part of a hymn. Like, you know, we just sang a lot of hymns a moment ago. It may have been a hymn in which the early church was singing. And that's why Paul the Apostle, when he looks at verse 6 to 11, gets them to uh, look at something that they're already familiar with. So if you look back to what we know about the, the church in Philippi, if you look up here on the slide, we know that the church in Philippi was probably planted between 49 to 52 AD, and Paul the Apostle wrote to them, the next slide, in, the, in 62 AD. So that means that Jesus Christ died around 30 AD. So within 30 years of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the early church was already singing hymns, or reading out creeds 
about his his birth. And this is what Paul refers to in verse 6 to 11. Okay, Because many commentators feel that verse 6 to 11 is not something that Paul came up with, but it was something that they were familiar with already, and that's why there's a colon there. So what does it say about the birth of Jesus Christ that this early church was already singing about or reading about in creeds? It says in verse 6, Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Okay? Now I'm going to sort of get you to look at the the sections of the creed or the hymn very closely because they're full of meaning. And what it begins by saying is that before Jesus was born, Jesus was pre-existent. Okay? In his fundamental possession, in his very nature, he was God in his being, in his existence, in his actuality. Now I know that some of you may be using the ESV translation. Anybody here using ESV translation? Okay, I see a few hands going up there. In the ESV translation, it actually says, took on the form of God. Okay, took on the form of God. Now, this is not to say that, uh, you know, sometimes when we think of form, we think that it's just something external, right? So internally, I'm something else, but externally, I take on the form of something. I don't think that's what the Bible is actually saying here. Jesus is actually of the form of God, both in the outside, and on the inside, he was truly God. He's not some sort of like pretend God, okay? So therefore, Jesus, what he's trying to say here in verse 6, was God in every way, in his identity, in his nature, in his power, and in his glory. But, even though in his very nature he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or in the new NIV, which is what some of your translations would be, something to be used to his own advantage. Now the idea is that here, Jesus Christ, though in his very nature, he was fully God. He didn't use it in a selfish way. He didn't grasp for it. He wasn't selfishly seizing it and using it for his own selfish ambition. Now the Philippian Christians would be very familiar with the idea of using your position for your own selfish advantage or for grasping for power. I think that even in Singapore, uh, we try to be a very egalitarian, very fair and just society, but even so, we still see many people using their position and their power for their own selfish gain. So I remember this true story that my dad told me once, of how he had a rich friend who he knew, and uh, they were at the airport. And uh, at the airport, there was a long queue waiting to uh, get to their tickets, And this rich man was trying to get an upgrade at the ticketing counter. You know, you get to the ticketing counter. And uh, the plane was already full and he was trying to get upgrade. So he he started shouting at the ticketing agent. He says, do you know who I am? Do you really know who I am? Do you know who I am or not? So anyway, apparently this was overseas and not in Singapore because they would never do this in Singapore. But the lady kept quiet. And after a moment, uh, put the microphone, stopped to her mouth. And she spoke to the crowd behind this man and says, uh, Could someone please step forward to help this gentleman? He seems to be having some trouble. He doesn't know who he is. <laughs> now, here's an example of a man, right? A rich man, a powerful man, who was trying to use his advantage, uh, his position to his own advantage. Right? Trying to use his, 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 his position to seize advantage, to grasp advantage. But Jesus, though he was much more powerful than this rich man, my dad's friend, he did not use his position and power to grasp 
for selfish advantage, for his own selfish ends. But instead it says there in verse 8 that rather than using his equality of God, something to his own advantage, to grasp at it, it says that in verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Okay, so if you notice that I've highlighted all the important bits for you, right? So what it says here is that Jesus actually made himself nothing. Now personally, I don't like uh, the way the NIV is translated here because, you know, making yourself nothing is kind of a very bland, empty way of speaking, right? But the verb that is actually being used there, which I think is used in the ESV, is he emptied himself. He emptied himself, right? So there's a contrast here. Instead of grasping and seizing advantage, he emptied himself of all his power and his rights that came from being a divine, a god. And instead of, instead of grasping for power, he emptied himself and became, it says there, the very nature of a servant. Okay, the very nature of a servant. And again, there's a contrast, right, between how he was in his very nature, God, but then by very nature, he changed to become a servant. And that's why I think that it's trying to draw us to attention that in his very nature, he has changed who his role is. He could have been God. Right? He's God by self grasping equality and asking to us to serve us, serve him. He came to serve us. He take, took on the very nature of a servant. Because the contrast here is of moving from the highest of high to the lowest of low. You see, in the ancient world, uh, people didn't become servants or slaves unless they were captured in war, or they couldn't pay their debts. So what is actually being said here is that Jesus not just decided to change from one who is served to one who serves other people, but he changed his position from the highest position to the lowest position. Now, if you think about that for a moment, that's really amazing, right? Because most people that you meet in this world would want you to serve them. Right? They want all that you have to give. Right? But Jesus is different. Instead of wanting all that we had to give Him, He gave all that He had to us. Right? Instead of grasping, He was giving. And I think that this uh, observation of the world, of how people are generally like, is also true about gods of the different religions. Because if you think of many religions, what is the characteristic of their God? What's the personality of their God? Well, the personality of many gods, of many religions, is that they are expecting you to serve them. Which God of any religion serves its its people? The gods of all the other religions expect you to serve them. So I have a relative who every year uh, goes to a Southeast Asian country for about a month, and dresses in religious clothes, eats very strict meals, and does everything every day in a very strict way. And all this is done because her God expects her to serve the God in a certain way. This God that she worships accepts her complete service. But Jesus here, if you look here in this passage very carefully, does the complete opposite. He empties himself 
and takes on the very nature of a servant in every way, right? He's not some sort of fake servant. He is a servant in every way. He takes on the role of a servant. But in order to do that, it says there that he became, became made or be, he, he was, sorry, it says that he was being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Okay, so he served not in his, uh, God form, but he served us as a man. He became man to serve us. Now, if you look at the, this passage, again, um, if you look up here, our translation says, being made in human likeness, right? Being found in appearance as a man. Uh, I know again, uh, I, I don't want to confuse you, but if you look at your, your ESV and compare the two, in some of the other versions or translations, the word of, instead of being made, it has the word being born, okay? Being born of human likeness. Uh, the word is the same as this word, if you look at the next slide. Okay, so in the book of Galatians, it says, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive full rights as a son. So this word here, born, okay, next slide, is the same word as the word made. Okay, same word as the word made. So here, it's, it's, it's bringing us back to the fact that Jesus was born a man, born in humanity, born in human likeness. And I think it shows us something very significant about Jesus. Because when I was born, I had no say in where I was born, when I was born, the fact that I was born. But when Jesus was born, Jesus took a deliberate choice to empty himself and to lower himself to our level as humanity to serve us, taking the very nature of a servant. Now, I wonder whether for us, when we read those words in the Bible, we think, ah, yeah, what's the big deal? God became a man, right? What's the big deal? He just became a man. But I want you to really, really reflect on it a bit more. Now, if, if you were to lower yourself to the lowest level of, I guess, being a creature in, uh, in our animal kingdom, right? What, what animal would it be? Okay, so imagine in some imaginary hypothetical universe, you could lower yourself to become a, another animal. The lowest of the low animals, what would it be? Well, to me, it would probably be a cockroach, right? Because, you know, every time you see a cockroach, you want to kill it, right? So, I mean, you know, and you don't have like the save the cockroach society, and you don't have people, you know, save the cockroach, like you have to save the whales or save, save some small green frog in the jungle of South America, right? Because, you know, we all hate cockroaches, right? Well, in a way, it's like us becoming a cockroach. But actually, it's much, much worse than that, isn't it? Because God was the creator, and we are the creature. But the creator God chooses to become a creature. To serve the creature. It's like us becoming cockroaches to serve cockroaches. Okay, blows the mind, right? But that's something of what is being said here, that God, the Creator, mighty God, supreme God, by His very nature, chose to become a human like us. and But not just a human, but to serve us. That means that for the early Christians, 
when they remembered the birth of Jesus, when they celebrated what would be Christmas for us, they didn't see Jesus as just a random good teacher, right? Some, you know, sometimes people nowadays say, oh, you know, Jesus is just a good teacher. Or, you know, he was just somebody who was seeking liberty from the Romans. No, they didn't see him that way. They, the people who walked and talked and saw Jesus, they saw Jesus as God. They saw Jesus as God who emptied himself to become a man. They didn't see him as an accident of history and they didn't see him as an excuse for shopping and Christmas trees and giving presents. They saw him and his birth as something really, really significant. That God himself emptied himself of all power to become a man to serve us. But I want you to look a bit close, more closely at God's word, right? Because God is never careless with his words. You know, he's not like ourselves. You know, sometimes we say things we don't mean or we, we mean things, but then we, we say it wrongly, right? Because, you know, we're, we're not very good of our words sometimes. But look at what it says there. If you see up here, it says, he was, he was found or he was born in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. Now, why, why does, God used those phrases. Why does it mean that he was born in human likeness or in appearance as a man? I mean, does that mean that Jesus only appeared as a man? He was like a man? You know, maybe if you scratch his skin, right, he's not really bleeding underneath there. It's like maybe he's some robot or android or something, right? I mean, what does it mean that he only had human likeness or the appearance as a man? Well, I think in one way, Jesus was different from us. He was like a man. He was uh, had human appearance. But he was not completely like us. Right? He was not like us in, in, in a very, very important way. He was fully human, but he was not fully human in the sense that he was not a sinful human being. Right? He didn't inherit sinful flesh. So in Hebrews chapter 4, the next slide, if you see up here, uh, it talks about Jesus as the high priest, right? It says, but we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet was without sin. See, this is what it means when it says, and why God chose these particular words, that God, Jesus, his son, was made or born in human likeness, and found an appearance as a man. Because in every way he was human, but yet he was without sin. He was not wicked, evil, or imperfect. Now when I was younger, uh, I lived in boarding school when I was 12 years old. And because I was away from my parents, I, I was always looking for like a father figure or a role model or someone to look up to. So I had uh, sporting heroes, I had teachers, I had peers who I looked up to. But each and every time, sooner or later, I would get disappointed because the sad truth was that the closer I got to someone, the closer I got to know someone, the more I began to see their flaws and imperfections. And the problem was, at that time, I didn't realize the truth about humans. And the truth about humans is that every human is imperfect. Every human is sinful. Every human has flaws and faults and will let you down at some time or other. Except Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was perfect. He was born in human likeness as a found appearance as a man. And he was like us in every way, but he did not sin. 
And that's why, if you look at the, the next slide, right, it actually uses the same phrase to describe Jesus in terms of the likeness. So for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. See, Jesus, in order to serve humanity, could not be exactly like humanity. He couldn't be sinful like us. He came like us in appearance as a man, but yet without sin, because in order to serve us, He serves us by being a sin offering. Now, to be a sin offering meant that He had to be perfect, sinless and holy, so that He could take the sins of the other people. You see, unlike us, Jesus had a very clear purpose in life. And that clear purpose in life was to, to be a sin offering in order to serve mankind. You know, some people go through life looking for purpose, right? You know, like many people uh, find life very meaningless and purposeless. From the moment they are born to the moment they die, they don't know why they are born or what the purpose of their life is. And they're always like looking for meaning and purpose in life. So they find it in doing various things or traveling or, or whatever, right? Having children. But Jesus, His purpose was clear even before He was born. His purpose in becoming a human was to serve mankind. He was born being made in human likeness in order to serve us by being a sin offering to die for our sins. And that's why in verse 8b, the next slide, right? It says, Jesus, uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if you actually see here, eh, I didn't highlight it. Oh yeah, I must have made a mistake. See the word humble here? It's actually the parallel to emptied himself. Okay? The word empty and humble are sort of like the same sort of meaning, right? You know, I humble, I, I humble myself, I bring myself low, I empty myself of all my privilege and rights. It's sort of the same idea. But here when, when Jesus talks about humbling himself, he's going further. He's saying he humbled, he emptied himself to become a servant, he emptied himself to become human. But he humbles himself, he humiliates himself, by dying. And not just dying, any sort of normal death, you know, like you just die in your sleep or something or get into a car accident. He humbled himself by choosing to die on the cross. And the cross is the most humiliating and the most degrading way of dying in the ancient world, even the modern world, right? It's, it's, I mean, that's why we do not crucify Criminals, right? We, we, we give them lethal injections or we hang them because crucifixion is, is a really humiliating way to die. Uh, like we sang in the song earlier. Oh, sorry, no, we didn't sing in the song earlier. We said in the responsive reading earlier, it was reserved only for criminals. And the ancient world, the time of Philippi, crucifixion was not something that you talked about in polite company or at the dinner table. Uh, people didn't put up crosses at the entrance of their houses. They didn't wear it on chains on their necks. And they didn't have them up on their church buildings or on their t-shirts, right? But imagine if it was humiliating 
for humans, how humiliating it must have been for the Creator God to choose to come to serve, to be born with the purpose of dying on the cross. That the hands that created the universe be willing to be nailed to the cross. Now, I started the sermon by asking what you can learn from the birth of someone. And I said that actually, in general, you can't learn very much. Okay, you can't, you, maybe you learn a lot about the parents, but you don't learn much about the person, right? Don't know about his personality. But once again, as we come to the Christmas season and we remember the birth of Jesus, then we actually learn a lot about Jesus, right? Uh, we learn that Jesus was actually God. We learn that Jesus was pre-existent before his birth. And we learn that Jesus was selflessly and lovingly giving of his power, his glory and his rights when he chose to be born as a human. And being born as a human was an act of servanthood because the purpose of his birth was to go to the cross to die for our sins. So for God's sake, okay, not, not used as an exclamation, but as it's really meant to be used, right? For God's sake, we should not see Christmas as a time to have holidays or just have season's greetings or more retail therapy. But for God's sake, we should actually see that Christmas is a time where we remember the supreme selfless giving of Jesus as God to empty and humble himself to become our servant. See, recently I had a discussion with someone who was trying to tell me that religion was bad. Especially Christianity, he said, right? He said Christianity was the root of all kinds of problems in the world, right? So, you know, he said, Roman Catholic Church, like, you know, got all the sexual abuse, and then he was trying to tell me about how the Anglican Church was started because of adultery, and how colonialism and Christianity go hand in hand. But the problem was, see, he's looking at the wrong place, right, in terms of Christianity. I mean... Do you become a Christian because of the, 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 the people in the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church or because of colonialism? Christianity is not about those people, right? They're all fallen people. Christianity is about Jesus Christ. Christianity is about Jesus, who was God, who became a man for our sakes to die for us. So actually, Christianity, the heart of Christianity, is not about rules, and regulations, and memorizing scripture or commandments, but it's about a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God who did not grasp at power, but instead gave up power to serve us, who was willing to serve us and become a man and die on the cross. Now, I know that some of you today may not have this relationship with Jesus Christ, this God, the Savior. But if you reflect on today's passage and reflect on the birth of Jesus, how can you turn your back on such a God? How can you turn your back on a God who would be willing to humble himself and empty himself of power and to die on your behalf? Because that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about God who chose to become a man, to lower himself to the lowest of low. And to die the death which is of the lowest of the low, for your sake, to save you. So I hope that uh, as you remember Christmas once again, this time of year, 
you remember it for what it really means. Uh, not something as trivial as what uh, the media portrays it, but for what it really is, that God, Jesus, became a man. He emptied himself. He humbled himself to die and to save you from your sins. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you'll give us a deep seriousness about what we've heard today. That the birth of Jesus that we remember during Christmas is of a magnitude which just blows our mind. That God, a Creator God, your Son, would choose to empty Himself of all His power and rights to become the creature, a human. That He came as a human to serve us, to serve mankind, to go to the cross to die a humiliating, painful death as our sin offering. Dear Father, we pray that as we remember the birth of Jesus, we see His wonderful selflessness, His wonderful love, His wonderful grace, and that we will continue to to have a relationship with Him, to follow Him, and to love Him. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.